You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Good morning. Let me get set up here. Uh, For those of you who haven't been with us through the summer, I'll give you a little update of what we've been doing. Uh, We have been spending our summer here in our messages just looking at Jesus' encounters with outsiders. Uh, And so the reason we're doing that is we have this simple assumption as Jesus' church that we are called to look and act like Jesus. Isn't that a neat idea? Really, uh, you know, really, really novel idea for his church to seek to be like him. And uh, what we feel like is just this awareness is that there's been some a dissonance between what we see in the life of Jesus and how he engages with outsiders and, and maybe what the church has been known for. And so we really believe that as we get to look at Jesus, see how he interacted, see what he did, uh, we can actually begin to look more like him. And his way he treated those who were supposedly outside was really a hallmark of his ministry and his life. It was a big part of who he was and what made him stand out, as, as we've been seeing, as Chelsea showed us last week. And we're actually, again this week, going to look at this story from John 4 with the woman at the well. Chelsea and I were talking when she was getting ready for her message last week, which is how there's just so much in this story. And uh, a lot we can learn from. It needed to be at least two parts. So, so we're going back into it. Today we're going to look at, uh, we're just going to start in verse 19, read to verse 30, and then pick it up again in verse 39 to 42. So I'm just going to read it to you today, and then we'll dive in. All right? You guys got Bibles with you? Who's, who's got like a, a paper Bible with you in your hand? Man, I think we should give awards out for that. I'm just saying. I, it's okay if you got on your phone, and it's okay if you're reading from up there, but I just got this thing about holding this actual book, and yeah, I'm not going to get into that now. Um, all right, here we go. So picking up in verse 19, after he's been telling her about living water and how many husbands she's had and all of that stuff, uh, starting in verse 19, the woman saying to Jesus, Sir, The woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming And has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Verse 39. 
Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. There it is. Great story. Uh, what I want us to, to look at today as we consider this story is I'm putting under three headings. The distraction of disagreement and dichotomy. The reality of right and wrong. The strategy of come and see. So how many of you remember a time not so long ago where you had this very common dichotomy in our society? Uh, it may have sounded something like this. Well, if you don't get the vaccine, you don't love people, and you're going to be responsible for the deaths of many. Anybody heard any lines like that, right? And, and, then, and then over here, you had, well, if you say yes to getting the vaccine, you're just a gullible sheep, and you don't care about freedom. You know? And there, there was just this, 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 this real intense dichotomy that we had in our society, and people holding these positions, and many of you probably go, yeah, I was in one of those, you know, <laughs> one of those camps. Uh, and the, the thing was is that we had what I would call these false dichotomies that were being presented all the time. Well, if you're this, then you believe that. Well, if you're this, then you believe that. And, and you weren't really, there was no middle ground, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? And this is something really common that we see in our society where we love to find a point of disagreement so that we can then dismiss a person, a group, an idea. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, this, this is pretty common in our day. And I think this is a bit of what we see going on with this woman. There's lots, of, there's lots of theories. Before I say them, maybe I'll just point it out again. She says, I see you're a prophet. There's this curiosity and this interest in her. But then she jumps into this statement right after. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. And so she, she's saying, listen, I'm interested, I'm intrigued. But then she just jumps into, essentially, I believe, assessing Jesus' reliability. Can I trust this guy? Should I listen to him? What does he think about this contentious issue? Right? There's a lot of theories around why this woman, after everything she's experienced up to this point, does this. Some will say that she had just sincere confusion and she was looking for an answer. Others say she's trying to evade you know, Jesus and, and avoid the fact that he just spoke into her, her love life and her history. Uh, I really think that it's, it's likely that she's sitting there doing this thing where she is, she's assessing, should I listen to this guy? What, what, is, what does he think about this hot topic issue in my day? Anybody used to seeing a bit of that, right? And Jesus is great. I love the way he responds. Jesus responds saying, well, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And, and Jesus has this way that we, I see in his life that he often dodged the trap of these dichotomies, these, these two-option disagreements with a third way. If you want to see it, go to Matthew 22. We're not going to look at it today, but if you're interested to look more, there's, there's four stories in Matthew 22 where they're trying to trap him. 
And he keeps finding a different position from where to stand and, and what to say and what to believe. You know, a common one we might hear today is, well, you know, the church is responsible for so many injustices, so how can we believe the message? And an easy response to that for me is like, yeah, it is. It has been responsible for a bunch of big messes, but the issue is not with, the, with Jesus. The issue is not with the message of the gospel. The issue is with a people's failure to live out what Jesus taught, right? And so, so the reason I'm going into this today, when we think about outsiders and the way Jesus continued to dodge these traps and find a third way, is because I believe and I'm concerned that we live in a time where we are all navigating what I call the treacherous terrain of polarizing politics, right? It's like it's just everywhere. It's become a part of everything. And it's sad to see where people can't even listen to each other because, oh, well, you're of this camp. Well, you're that camp. And, 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 and you just kind of swing into these extremes. And as a result, you don't even, you know, people don't listen to each other. And, and I see us as the church at times getting caught up in that. And I have just a little maybe public service announcement here I want to make. Jesus is not actually a part of any political party. He doesn't have membership to any one of them. And it's really interesting when you look at uh, the, you know, some of the, the camps we can find ourselves in, right? Like conservatives would be known for having really strong sex ethic and family values. And a more liberal side might be known for having a real care for the poor and the marginalized and for the environment. Guess what? Jesus is interested in all those things. And maybe some of the weaknesses, you know, you're going to find weaknesses in either side of that spectrum that Jesus disagrees with. I guess my point is, is that the kingdom of God does not pledge its allegiance to any particular political party. Uh, they share values from the kingdom and they disagree with the kingdom on various levels. And you see, truth is often found in the middle. I remember a message years ago Jason brought us about the messy middle. And, uh, and the thing about this, though, that I want us to catch is that the middle isn't neutral. We, we often think about it as this neutral ground, but I find it really um, interesting what we see Jesus do as we move on in this story. Because, see, the temptation in this time of polarization for us is to just abandon any notion of solid truth. Let go of objectivity and convictions. You know, phrases like, well, I don't know, or how can we know? Those are really popular statements and positions, right? It's really popular to just say, well, I don't know. How could we know, right? Really popular. Jesus doesn't do this. Jesus actually operates with a clear framework of right and wrong, good and evil, true and false. Look at what he says to the lady in verse 22. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. So he says to her, well, actually, yeah, there is, there is actually a right procedure that God gave his special chosen people the Jews. And anybody could come participate in it. But there is, there is a right and a wrong way, right? And he even goes on and he begins to stress the, the, the way that is coming, though, which is this, this new way, this third way that kind of puts those old ways aside, is to worship the Father in spirit and what? Truth. 
matters to him. But here's the thing. Even with this framework of right and wrong, good and evil, true and false, Jesus never uses wrong as a reason to avoid or ignore people, to belittle or disqualify them. And that's often what happens is is we categorize people who are wrong as stupid, as dumb, as idiots. Like we just kind of put them in this box and we got them figured out and, and it doesn't matter. We don't need to connect with them. We don't need to understand them. We don't need to understand their perspective. But when you listen to Jesus, he often talked uh, less in terms of wrong and more in terms of lost and misled. Yes, he got frustrated with the misleading religious establishment. He was frustrated with those who claimed to know the way and misled people anyway. But he was a lot more gracious and gentle with those who had been misled. Remember, Telsey said to us last week, don't be surprised by lostness. Like the fact lost people are lost shouldn't shock anyone. Imagine a a child who is lost at the mall, wandering around looking for their parents. Do you look at them with disdain? Like, oh, you stupid kid. How did, you know, no, you feel compassion and you want to lean in and, and figure out how you can help, right? That's how I see Jesus going about as in his engagement with lost people. And I'd ask us the question, did Jesus... Avoid you when you were lost in darkness and deception. When you didn't agree with him. Do you believe you're currently in alignment and agreement with every one of Jesus' positions? His truth claims? Do you actually think you're perfectly aligned to Jesus right now? And, and, yet, and yet he still walks with us. He still reaches out to us. He still connects us. He still leads us forward. And I want to say to, this, say to you this. Ideological and intellectual agreement don't save you. Trusting Jesus as Lord is what saves us. The gospel teaches that we're saved by believing. We're saved by faith. Faith in what? Faith in that Jesus is Lord. Faith in that Jesus is the Messiah. Faith in that Jesus is the Savior of the world, as the people said at the end of the story. So I want us to see kind of the progression here in the story. You look at um, Jesus starts pointing to who he is when he says, A time is coming and has now come. When this new type of worship is, is what matters. He's hinting at who he is. And she responds to all that he's saying about you don't worship here or there. You worship in spirit and truth. And she responds to it um, saying, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Translation, I think, is that she's like, I'm a little confused at what you're saying. Uh, I don't really get it, but I, I do believe there's one who's going to be able to explain it to us at some point. And, and in the midst of not, look at what she does, right? In the midst of not really knowing the right or the wrong answer, the right or the wrong position, 
she leans into, but I know there's someone who does know. I know there's someone who's coming who's going to explain this to us. And how does Jesus respond to her? You're looking at him. I'm him. He, he has no shame or false humility in just saying, yeah, that one you're talking about, who's going to explain it to you? You're looking at him right here. It's me. And she ends up convinced, or at least close to convinced, right? It says that she, she leaves her water pot, and Telsey beautifully showed us last week how interesting that is, that, that she came for this water, right? But she leaves her pot behind because she found the living water that he said he had on offer. But she runs back to her town, and notice what she doesn't announce first. She doesn't run back into her city and say, you've all been worshiping wrong. You've got it all wrong. You guys have been doing this all wrong. You taught me the wrong way. Like, that's not the announcement that she comes and makes. She doesn't come and say, I know the right position on this question, on this hot topic debate. She says, come and meet Jesus. Not in those exact words in the text, but that's basically it. Come see this man. Come and see. She doesn't come with the answer to the argument. She comes with an announcement of someone she met. Someone who's impacted her life. And I want to say this to us, guys, that as we're going about our workplace, our school, our neighborhood, wherever we go, as we are engaging with outsiders, using that term, right? Our central message is the person of Jesus. What we've experienced of him, our testimony, what following him has been like. Are you with me? I found myself, as I was looking at this story, reminded of uh, someone, someone we know who was sharing a story with us of just how they're engaging with their friends. And this, this person's in their 20s, and they, you know, their friends are people who are in their 20s, right? And so very much uh, comfortable with the, well, I don't know, how can we know sort of position, right? And just that, that super um, relativistic outlook on the world. And, and what she was sharing with us that, that I don't even know if she understood it as an evangelism tactic, but it was basically this. She says, well, I just kind of like share with people like, you know, I don't know. In my observation, it has seemed to me that there are these like rules that, that, that govern the universe. And that like if we'll learn them and we'll follow them, it actually like life works really well in this world in which we live. And, and I found somebody, I met somebody who actually seems to really understand them. And I've been applying what he's teaching to me and finding it, like, extremely beneficial. Well, who did she meet? Jesus, right? She, she's saying, listen, guys, I, I, met a, I met someone, and he seems to understand how to teach me how to live, and it's working out really well for me. Maybe you'd want to try it too, Right? It's just this very like simple introduction to her experience of Jesus and offering and inviting others into the same. 
Sometimes I think, guys, as the church, we actually don't spend enough time listening to what people are dealing with and what they're going through to even, to even really understand how to connect with where they're at. We can just come in like a bulldozer or a wrecking ball with, you got to hear, you know, you got to hear this. But actually taking the time to hear what people are struggling with may actually give you an opportunity to be like, oh, I know somebody who helped me with that. Come and see. Come and see Jesus. And I think oftentimes we find ourselves in a place where we get also presented with what I would call, you know, a theological dichotomy, a theological disagreement, which is essentially, well, if there is a God, then dot, 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 fill in the blank, right? If there's a God, the world would be more like this, the world would be less like that, or, or whatever it might be. People reject and object, and I was reminded of just this awesome quote I heard from the late Tim Keller, and he said this, he tweeted this years ago, describe the God you've rejected, describe the God you don't believe in, maybe I don't believe in that God either. I remember reading that and just being, you know, grabbed me, it was like, oh, so good because what I often hear people telling me about why they don't believe in God is, is these exaggerated characters of who he is and what he's like versus, versus the real God of the Bible and that we see in Jesus. And so when I hear people say, How could I believe in a God? You know, it's like, I don't, I don't believe in that God either. Maybe you come and see. Can I, can I tell you about the one that I believe in? You know, tell me about the one you don't. And then, and then actually connect with that and reflect. Okay, so what I'm hearing is, man, yeah, I don't, I'm not on board with that either. You know, could I share with you? It's again, that thing Chelsea said to us last week, connection before correction, right? And a real key to connection is listening. So my hope as we've just been looking, I mean, what we're doing here, what we do on Sundays here at Life Tree, is we say, come see Jesus. Let's go look, let's go listen, let's learn, and hopefully as a result, live like Jesus. That's what we're doing here this morning in the songs we've been singing, in looking at this story or the stories in the weeks past. Let's look at Jesus. And because... We are not content to just be a people who all walk out going, okay, yeah, good, great, got it. But actually wrestle with how will I apply this? How do I live this? We've been breaking into groups on Sundays to discuss what we've been looking at in the text, what we've been talking about. We're going to do that right now. And so I'm going to ask you guys, uh, we're going to put some questions up here. And I'm going to ask you to, to get into groups of like three or four people. Keeping them to that size really helps everyone engage. Um, if you're feeling shy, you know, go to the group of four people, you know, or whatever. But, uh, and I get, I get that turning our chairs in towards each other and talking can be uncomfortable for some. There's no pressure to have a lot to say. Uh, but I want us to take some time, okay? We're going to take maybe uh, a little more time than we have been doing. I'm going to say like eight, maybe ten minutes, okay? Because uh, it has felt tight. But the questions, are they up there? All right. So what disagreements or false dichotomies do you hear often? 
What third way might Jesus offer? What could an invitation to come and see Jesus sound like today? Okay? Okay, I thought I did it. I thought I explained it, but I will do it. Dichotomy. Dichotomy is when you are presented with only two options of what could be true in a situation. Like, get the vaccine or hate people. Those are two options. And the reality is is that there were probably more than two options on the table in that moment, right? Uh, Or the other one was, don't get it or you hate freedom, right? It's, that's, that's a dichotomy. Those are two options that are actually, and a false dichotomy is when you're only given two when there's actually a whole bunch of other options. Does that make sense? So we could, we could put the word, oh, we did have the word disagreement. So if you're still like, what is a dichotomy? Just roll with disagreements as uh, that question. All right, so I'm just going to ask if we can pull it in here. I just wanna I just wanna close a couple remarks and prayer and then you guys are free to go or you're free to keep talking. But I definitely want to uh, just have this moment for those of you those of you who need to go. So what I what I wanna say to you guys is like I want us to remember we're looking at this interaction today where there's this this disagreement. And Jesus offers this third way. But as we, as we think about these disagreements that we face today or these false dichotomies, hopefully that's clear, uh, that what, what this, what was going on in the context, the context of the conversation we looked at today, prior to it was Jesus offering living water. He, he knew that what people were searching for was something that truly satisfies. And, and, and he referred to it as living water. And so as you run into disagreement and all that sort of stuff that comes in our day, it's realizing that the people we're interacting with, the, everybody in the world is searching for that which will truly satisfy. And it's far less about winning arguments and more about winning people, right? It's far more about actual connection before the correction ever comes. And so the, and the fact is that if you're here today, there's a good chance you're a lot like the woman who can say to people, come and see this one I've met. I found some living water. Can I, can I share it with you? You know? Um, and I, I realize we're talking in metaphor, and you're probably not going to, like Telsey told us last week, probably don't go running down the street going, I've got living water. But, uh, you know, hopefully the Lord leads us in how to apply it. So I just want to pray. And then you guys, you're free to go. You're free to keep talking. Whatever. So, Father, we thank you for the life, the words of Jesus. We thank you for just the the beauty of his way and your way that he showed us. And we ask that you would, by your spirit, make us wise. 
We ask that you make us gracious. We ask that you help us to connect. And that as we follow you, you help us lead others to the living water that is you. That is Jesus. May we be a people who keep you central in our message, in our interactions with others. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Life Tree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.